Welcome. I'm Rogers Anderson. As we travel around Williamson County, seek out those people that have really made a difference here in our lovely county. We have the opportunity today to spend some time with a gentleman that most of you will know, Darrell Walter. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you, Mayor. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk about Franklin. You know, my people used to think my name was Franklin's Darrell Walter. Uh, back when I first, back when my career was really going strong, and of course everybody knew I was from Franklin, Tennessee, or and uh, so I always got people said I thought your name was Franklin. So uh, that, that's always was a compliment. I thought. Let me ask you something before we get into this beautiful. We're actually in your office doing some taping, and you've got a very thriving uh, automobile dealership, 230 plus employees. I understand, and yeah. uh, uh, so we're proud from the county taxpayers situation. <laughs> we're glad you, to I have you here. I know, no. But take us back in those early days. I know you were from Kentucky. You yeah. look around at this room, see some of the memorabilia that's here. Yeah. They're going to take some shots of it. But take us back where you started. Brothers, sisters, mom, yeah. were they in racing? How did you get started? You know, Mayor, this, this, is, this is amazing. I, I think timing is everything. I don't care what, what you're doing. Timing is everything. Being in the right place at the right time being able to take advantage of opportunities that come along, being the guy that's there at the right time. I grew up in Owensboro, Kentucky. That's 150 miles north of here. Uh, my dad was a Pepsi-Cola uh, route salesman. He drove a Pepsi-Cola truck. And, and I'm gonna connect all the dots. He drove the Pepsi-Cola truck. I rode on the truck with him in the summertime. That was my job. And this was back when, when you didn't have cans and, and uh, throwaways. This is when you had bottles that you took in the store, you picked up bottles and put them back on the truck, you took them back to the plant, they washed them and used them again. So, and there was deposit on the bottles and all that, so long time ago. But I rode on the Pepsi-Cola truck. Did I have any idea that someday I would be sponsored by Pepsi-Cola? Mountain Dew and Pepsi-Cola. That was like, for, my, for me it was just another sponsor, but for my dad, it was, like, it was like I'd gone to, to cold, cold, soft drink heaven. Uh, John Scully was the president yeah. of PepsiCo at the time, and my dad got to meet him, and you'd have thought he met God after we had been there. So anyway, but that, connect that dot. So rode on the Pepsi-Cola truck with my dad. This, my mom has used Tide laundry detergent ever since I can remember, and, and I, I drove for Tide. So I know a little bit about it. It was introduced in 1947, the same year I was born, 1947. It was the, it's the only product that's ever been number one the day it was introduced and still is number one today. And I drove the Tide car and won the Daytona 500 in it. So just ironic how things worked out. I worked at a Chevrolet dealership in Owensboro, Don Moore Chevrolet. And I always saw as a kid, because I loved, you know, you know, new car smell. Oh, yes. You get in a new car and say, man, I love this. I'd love to have this. I'd love to own this car. I love that. I always thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool to have a car dealership? Fast forward and here we sit, you know, with five great franchises right here in one spot. So I, I've, I, I guess I'm trying to tell you, I li I've lived a dream. I started racing go-karts in Owensboro when I was 12 years old, me and my dad. We'd throw that thing in the trunk of the car on Sunday. Mom would pick a, fix a little picnic lunch. We'd put the, me and my two brothers and two sisters, all seven of us, get up in the back of an old Packard that dad had, throw that go-kart in the trunk. We'd all go to church. And we'd sit there in church and couldn't wait for the service to get over so we could run to the track and race the go-kart. And, and so, so I started racing those go-karts. Did I have any idea that someday I might win the Daytona 500 or win any NASCAR race? I didn't really when I started out. I just knew I loved it. 
and I loved it so much that it's all I ever wanted to do. Uh, my, my, my girls, Jessica and Sarah, and even Stevie, my wife, they get a little annoyed with me sometimes because I say one thing's wrong with kids today is they don't know what they want to do. You ask the kid what they want to do and they look, I don't know. <laughs> you know, what's your, what's, your, what's your ambition? What do you, I don't know. I said, man, I, I never was that way. And of course, my kids get kind of annoyed with me. They said, Dad, not everybody's like you. Everybody didn't know what they wanted to do from the time they were 12 years old till until they finally did whatever it was. So, started racing the go-karts and immediately had success. And I think that's probably the key to, to anybody's career is you pick something, you're really good at it, and you have success at it. And that was a blessing because there was no reason for me to do what I, I was able to do. I, nobody in my family had ever raced. Racing wasn't a part of our, of our family heritage. Uh, and, and so I just, but it just came natural to me. It's like some kid with a basketball or some kid catching a football or playing golf. It just was easy. <coughs> I never had a problem with the cars or the carts or anything. It just was, I just always thought, I, I just always had a lot of fun. If you had to pick, and let's catch your breath, but if you had high point and low point in your career. Yeah. What's the high point? Oh, I, you know, I've won 84 races. And, and, and the first one was at the fairgrounds in Nashville in 1975. That was my first win. I'll never forget it because it was on Mother's Day weekend. It was the Nashville 420. And my grandmother and my grandfather, who my grandmother took me to races in Owensboro when I was a little boy, six years old, made me sit in the grandstand with her and watch cars go around the track. My grandmother grandfather was there. My mom and dad, Stevie's mom and dad, my car, I, I owned the car, we built the car, and Jake Older was my crew chief. That Mother's Day weekend, that was my first win in, uh, in 1975. And, and that always, and my brother Michael, who was probably 12 at the time, I think, he's in, the, I got a picture around here somewhere of all of us in Victory Circle. So that first win, and, and then there's a lot of wins in, you know, in between, but that first one and the last race I won at Darlington in 1992, in my own car, and this is ironic, Jake Elder was my crew chief in 1975, the first race I won. In 1992, the last race I won, Jake Elder was my crew chief. Now, he had had other jobs, and he'd gone other places and done other things, but we had ended up back together. And I saw how ironic, first race I ever won was in my own car with him as a crew chief, number 17. Last race I won in my own car, him as crew chief, number 17. So, Daytona. You always have to, you know, if somebody says, what's the biggest, that's the biggest race I ever won. But I won a lot of races at Bristol I'm proud of. I won the Coke 600, our toughest race, five times. I did just a lot of things. I always say that I don't really find, I don't really think a career is defined by any one thing. I think it's the sum of all the parts. And uh, I've been blessed. Most popular driver a couple of times. Well, and... Of course, today, so many of the young people may not remember you as a driver. Right, right. They remember you as an announcer. Right. Or on TV or boogity boo, boogity boo. Yeah, boogity boogity boogity. Yeah, I and, know that's what the. And, and, and the kids of today, and we have many of them here in Williamson County that uh, have de dedicated and committed themselves to driving. Yeah. But um, that's why we're trying to instill some shows like this to build that history, to let folks know that. Um, you weren't always at the top. No, no, no. And, and, you know, I, I think that's a problem in a lot of ways is everybody wants to start at the top. 
and, and, and they see this glamorous lifestyle, flying to the track in your own plane, staying in a motorhome, on TV, uh, they, they, they see the glamorous side of it. They don't know all the work that went in to get to that level. Stevie and I, my wife and I, we, we used to leave Franklin. This was when I was getting started. PB Crow drove for him. Car 48 was my car number, orange and white. Now, where were you located in Franklin? Let me we're, down, we're down there uh, by the river, um, uh, right behind Dotson's, where that bank is now. I'm not sure what bank it is. but uh, Silos. Yeah, the silos. That was all part of PB's uh, trucking company, P, uh, Crow and Reed. Uh, Charles Reed and PB Crow. they had the trucking company there. And PB loved racing. He drove himself. I, again, right place, right time. PB was testing a car at, uh, at the Nashville Fairgrounds in uh, 1968, I guess it was, 69, and something happened to the car, and the car flipped, and he broke his back. Well, PB had the best cars of anybody in Nashville. PB, Cuckoo Marlin, R.C. Alexander, uh, the Binkley boys, they all had the, but PB always had the nicest cars, the best cars, and Herbert Knowles was, a, he was one of the body men who kept the car looking immaculate, and so had great race cars. PB crashed in winter testing, and it broke his back, and he couldn't drive the next year. And I'd become friends with him. He'd come up to Owensboro and race with us every now and then at a little track up there. And he and I got to be buddies, kind of drinking buddies, actually, but that was a long time ago. Um, you know we're on television. Yeah, I know, but that okay. was a long time ago. That was when I was young. I'm but, doing that for your counsel's sake. I know, I, I know. I might, I'm, I'm, I'm being overruled right now. <laughs> Cut that part out. But anyway, we were, we were drinking buddies. They would race. It was funny because they'd race here on Saturday night at the fairgrounds. They load their stuff up, and PB had three cars. He had 47, 48, and 49. And he drove one, and Jack Marlin drove one, and they always carried a spare. So he was a multi-car owner back in the 70s early 70s. They'd come to Owensboro. Owensboro's on the Ohio River. They'd bring their race cars and their boat. And they'd come up and, and, uh, and we'd go out on the river on Sunday afternoon before we raced on Sunday night. We'd water ski and have a glass of sweet tea or something like that. Buttermilk. Yeah, and bought a little buttermilk and cornbread. And then, and then go to Whitesville and race on Sunday night. So that was, became kind of a ritual. And PB had come up, and he had beat me one week. I'd beat him the next, and so we kind of became friends. And then when he got hurt, he needed somebody to drive his car, and he called me up and he said, can you uh, help me out? I need somebody to drive a car. Uh, you know, just I got other people that want to drive it, but I'd like to give you a shot at it if you, don't, if you want. I said, I'll be there. I came down to, from Owensboro, drove the car, and every time I drove it, I won. And all the other guys drove the car. They didn't win. And so uh, I got married in 69. And PB called me right after I got married, and he said, you know, I think I'd like to get you to drive this car all the time. And I said, that's a deal. He said, why don't you move down here, and uh, you can work on the trucks through the week and drive the car on the weekend. Well, I don't know anything about a truck, but I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I came down, and I never did work on the truck, by the way. I just worked on the car. Uh, but uh, So that's how I got to Nashville, uh, just from being in the right place at the right time. And went to the fairgrounds in 1970, won the track championship won every race. One year they had, I think they had 16 races down there one year and I won 14 of them. And so, it, and I, I, I won like 75 races at the fairgrounds alone. So it just became a stepping stone. I, what I did in Nashville, and then Nashville used to have two big NASCAR cup races. And so everybody, you know, knew about the fairgrounds. They knew about Nashville. That place has got incredible history. It's over a hundred years old. It's about as old as Indianapolis. 
And so that track had a lot of history. And if you could win a race at the fairgrounds in Nashville, you could win a race anywhere. And so I, that became one of those stepping stones, Owensboro, Nashville, Daytona, eventually. But I was going to tell you about how you got started. When, and, and me and Stevie, we'd get in a truck, just the two of us, and our dog Charlie Brown, load the race car on the trailer and head off to Huntsville, Alabama. And we'd race in Huntsville, Alabama on Thursday night, a little quarter mile down there. Fun track. We'd go down there on Thursday night and race and win and always win. And either we would come back to Franklin after the race if the car was, but if the car was okay, there wasn't anything wrong, we'd leave Huntsville and go to Birmingham and race at BIR on Friday mm -hmm. night. So Huntsville Thursday night, BIR Friday night, same car, same everything. Leave Birmingham, come back to Franklin Friday night, tune up the car and race the fairgrounds on Saturday night. And then after the race, car's mm -hmm. still good, load the car up after the race and drive to Owensboro and race to Owensboro on Sunday night. And that was our little circuit, and we did that every week. Leave Nash, leave Franklin about 2 in the afternoon and haul butt for Huntsville. Leave Huntsville, go to Birmingham. Leave Birmingham, come to Nashville. Leave Nashville and go to Owensboro. We did it every week. There's no doubt in my mind you still have a passion for racing. Oh, yeah. I, 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 wish, I just wish I hadn't gotten so old I can't drive. Well, maybe we could do something like they're doing golf. No, 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 look. <laughs> I've already seen, I've seen that act. You know, they always talk about the, they, need, they need an old guy series, a legend series. I say, you got to be kidding. Those guys couldn't drive when they were young. I'm sure not going to drive. I'm sure not going to get out there with them now. And then, so I don't think that would work. It's not like golf. There's more than a ball and a, and a stick involved in racing. you got to have a car and people, and, and it's kind of dangerous. So I, when I say I, 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 I wish I was, I wish I was, well, first of all, I've, I've said I wish I was 20 years younger, and I did the math. And I said, no, you better make that 40 years younger so I could come, so I could race with some of these guys today. But you can't do that. I had a great career, and I'm, I'm not complaining. Well, and you had, when you look around the room, and I know the, the camera's picking up some of this, the equipment yeah. today versus, can I use 25 plus years ago? <laughs> yeah. And I don't get the Daytona 500 in there, barely. <laughs> has changed enormously. Yeah. Safety, safety, safety. Yeah. Well, but you escaped for yeah, most part. And I, I was blessed. Major. I mean, my Neil Bonnet, Dale Earnhardt, Davey Allison, a, a number of my friends all got, you know, they got killed in race cars. Alan Kowicki, even though it wasn't in a car, he was still one of our champions. Uh, I, I often think about, I should have been with them, not where I am now, because I had some horrendous wrecks. I had couple at Daytona that I could easily not have walked away from and I realize that and I'm, and I'm thankful that I, I'm still around to be able to do what I do but uh, yeah it, the cars the difference in in the sport today it's not so much at the track because we do the same thing we always do we drop the green flag and we race till they drop the checkered and that's pretty much stayed the same but where the difference is is back at the shop because we didn't we didn't have, these guys today they operate out of a factory when you go to these big teams like Hendrick or Gibbs or Penske or Roush or Childress, it's like going to a factory. I mean, they, they, they do everything in-house. They, they build their engines. They build their cars. They got engineers. I was just there in a testing in Charlotte this past week. Rick Hendrick, for two cars, they had two cars there testing, 70 engineers alone. Not mechanics. Engineers, people 
with white aprons on, sitting in front of a computer screen, <coughs> downloading data, downloading information out of the car. The only person that downloaded any information out of my car was me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had to come into pits and, and Hammond or whomever, they'd come over, you know, mm -hmm. and say, so what do you think? Well, I, I think we need a little more right front, and I think we need a little bit bigger bar in that left rear shock, and maybe we need to tweak this or tweak that. The driver didn't do any of that anymore. They come in, they plug the computer in. It's kind of like what we do here at the dealership. You bring your car in, and got a check engine light on. We don't raise the hood. We open the open the door and plug into the uh, the terminal there and see what the computer says is wrong with your car. Well, that's the way the race cars have become highly technical. All of my all the mechanics that worked on my car, they were generalists. They could do anything. Today, these shops are full of specialists, and they only do one thing. It may be transmissions, it may be gears, it may be engines, it may be uh, chassis, he may be a fabricator, but they all specialize in one thing. And shops, these teams today, I had 12, 15 people, they have 150 people on each car working on those cars. They even have, this is pretty cool, they have an interior engineer now. What does that person do? <laughs> That's what I said when I he's the guy he's the guy that makes sure all the inside the ergonomics inside the car are right. He works with the driver and the seat and the seat my seat I went to the junkyard and got my seat out of a van. He's seat you know paid fifteen twenty dollars whatever we, whatever they call whatever they charge for these seats today cost twenty five thousand dollars they're made out of carbon fiber they're custom fit custom made it fits your body perfectly. And, and so you got to have somebody to help you install all of that, have everything in exactly the steering wheel's got to be in the right spot, the pedals, the mirror, you know, everything has to be exactly right. And you have to have an interior engineer to help you put all that together. And that's his job. They may uh, want to look at the medical profession. I think there was a time we went to eye, ear, nose, and throat doctors, and now oh, you go to... Yeah. Specialist. Now you go to specialist. Yeah. You said something a minute ago, and I do want to get uh, the dealership in in the time we left. When did you open it here? I know you have been here many years, yeah. and you've broadened your ex uh, horizons. You've got certainly Honda, the dealership brand here, yeah. the Volvo brand, and you've just recently picked up the new brand. Yeah, we opened uh, the Honda store over there in 1985, and uh, it was on the wrong side of the interstate. When, uh, when you crossed over the interstate, 65 out here, and you, you started going east, there was nothing over here. We were out here in a cornfield. This was a farm. Yes. Uh, Flip Hood and Gordon Emmett, I don't know, four or five guys bought this 30-odd acres back in, back in the day, and, uh, and we bought a little piece of it and built our Honda dealership over here, and we were over here all by ourselves for Seems a like time. wasn't the consumer tractor out here for a yeah, while? Yeah, it was right up on the corner where the used car lot is. <laughs> That was up on the corner right there. Of course, there was an old country store yes. that was on the other side of the interstate, Holiday Inn. I can remember getting off I-65, even come down. Yeah. There was a time <laughs> when the interstate didn't even come all the way. You had to come down here to, on uh, on Franklin Road, get off at Brentwood or somewhere up there. And maybe at Hundred Oaks. I think the interstate ended at Hundred Oaks, and you had to come down Franklin Road. Didn't even have it. the interstate finishes for now. But anyway, uh, we built here in 85 and just a little, you know, Honda store. And then Honda took off and became a number one car in America, and it's a, still the uh, resale value of a Honda is higher than any other vehicle. And we've added, you know, along the way, we added Volvo, the safest car in the world, and we now have Subaru with their symmetrical all-wheel drive, and uh, their Outback is redesigned this year, and it's been a hot seller. 
and we just added Buick and GMC. And Buick, two of the greatest years of my whole career were driving a Buick Regal in 1981-82. I won 24 races and two championships. Again, our irony, I'm now in the Buick business. And of course, GMC with their Denali brand, their trucks and their SUVs. Uh, we've got five great brands all right here on this campus. Uh, that started out with just one little store over there, but just continued to grow it. And uh, that's what I've loved about Williamson County uh, is I had nothing when I came here. You, you mentioned Ed Moody. I bought tires on credit from Mr. Moody because I couldn't afford, I couldn't pay for them, but I needed tires. I'm traveling a lot. And uh, Mr. Moody said, whatever you need, and they pay him when you can. Uh, people like that. Uh, that that really just welcome you with open arms. They didn't. They didn't know me. I'm some race car driver from Owensboro moving in town. Miss Grigsby over at Colony House. Mm -hmm. She gave. She put us. We didn't have any money. She, she put us in the apartment over there, and we we paid her as as we when we could or should, eventually uh, every month. But uh, it wasn't always that way. Moved out here to Indian Springs mm -hmm. with Miss Grigsby. But there's nothing out here. No Kroger. No no. Nothing. Ford store and no, no nothing. And you got off the interstate at 65 right here was a gas station, the Holiday Inn, and a country store. And then it seemed like miles into the downtown to the square. I, re I used to drive my car. This is cool. Uh, Mutt Huff, Sheriff. Mm -hmm. I, I used to drive my car from PB's there by Dotson's up to Mr. Moody's tire store, which is downtown there by where the movie theater is. And, uh, and drive it up there every Saturday morning to get my tires balanced because that was one of our secrets. See, all these other guys, they go get their tires all mounted up, throw them on the car, and they never even thought about balancing them. But we figured out if we balanced our tires on the car, that then smooth the car out and the car run faster. And so that was a little secret we had. So every Saturday morning, I'd get in the car, drive through town in my race car, you know, farmers are up there on the square selling their eggs and their, and their and their vegetables and everything else. And here I come in my race car, you know, driving right through the middle of town. And we did that forever. And one Saturday morning, we were getting ready to head up to Moody's, get the tire balanced, and the sheriff pulled up. So where are you going, son? I said, I'm going to go uptown here and get my tires balanced. Mm-mm. We ain't doing that no more. I said, what do you mean we ain't doing that no more? He said, new sheriff in town. <laughs> Them days are over with. You drive that car up through town now, it's going to be my car. And so when Mud Huff became a sheriff, we uh, it changed uh, the way we did business. When you when you, of course you're in, uh, for me to sit here and just uh, hear some of the the stories that you yeah. tell. You're a great storyteller. Um, <laughs> My wife said I'm a great liar, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that you could tell from your your description of your early family life, it was a it was a working class family. Yeah. Yeah, my mom, dad drove the Pepsi truck. Mom worked at IGA. She was a cashier, and and, and the role model that my my mom and dad uh, was for my for my brothers and sisters and I was, you work hard, and you can accomplish anything, but you have to work hard. My dad didn't finish high school. He had a eighth grade education. My mom, I'm not sure. I think she's about the same. So they they weren't they weren't uh, highly educated. They just knew how to. They used their hands and they just worked, worked hard. And that's a, they instilled that in all of us. And uh, I think it's a, the greatest legacy that my dad left for me and my brother Michael and all of us is that uh, you just have to work hard. And that was my point, kind of where I was going with it, to, 
today, <clears throat> racing will change again over the next 25 years. Right. Car dealerships will continue to be, they'll flourish in certain spots than they want, but you've managed to go from a very humble beginning, successful career, uh, wonderful family life, great children, um, an amazing journey, but still have that enthusiasm for the sport, for the yeah. occupation that you have, and at all the same time, keeping focused on what's important in life. Yeah, well, it, it is exciting because it's always changing, and, and, and that's the challenge. Uh, as I get older, uh, the, the audience gets younger, and, and the challenge for me is to be able to still communicate and, and connect with that younger audience. One of the best things I did was the movie Cars. I was in both of the Cars movies, the first one and Cars 2, Daryl Car Trip, and I couldn't believe how that really introduced me to a new younger bunch of kids that I that probably never knew who Daryl Walter was until they knew who Daryl Car Trip was. Welcome back to the Dynaco 400. I'm Bob Cutlass, here with my good friend, Daryl Cartrip. We're midway through what may turn out to be an historic day for racing. Bob, my oil pressure's through the roof right now. If this gets any more exciting, they're gonna have to tow me out of the booth. Right you are, Daryl. And so, when you're in TV, you know, there's a shelf life on everything we do. Uh, and when you're in TV, there's a point in time when you're you're not relevant anymore. You know, it's this the sports passed you by or whatever it is you're, whether it's baseball, John or football, John Madden, or Tim McCarver in baseball, or whomever it may be, Terry Bradshaw, any of these guys, uh, there's a point in time when you you know you have to say, okay, I I don't I, I'm not able to keep up with what these young kids are doing today, but I'm not there yet, and I don't intend to get there anytime I soon. I understand. And uh, and and that's but that's I get up every day, and uh, coming out here is exciting. Uh, people come in and out of this dealership, and they and they see me, and, and you know. A, Brick tops or choices or pork and cow or wherever I am, and they come up and say, and this was a fear you have when you're in the car business. People don't always have a great experience at car dealerships. So when people come up and say, hey, I bought a car from you, well, you think, <gasps> and it was the best experience I ever had in my life. And, and that's, that's kind of the nature of the car business. But I've been so blessed to have John Y'all try Gallagher. politics. Oh, I cannot, I, that's why I don't do politics. <laughs> Got two minutes left. I probably overlooked something in our short interview that you'd like to tell the audiences a little bit about Daryl or some experience in the remaining time we've got. Something that, that's on your mind that I might have overlooked. And yeah. Some well, a couple of things, I don't know, I don't know if they're on, I don't know, how, they're significant to me. Uh, Leonard Isaac and Hal Haddon, two of my good friends, uh, we have a Bible study in my home, in my home uh, every Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock out in Deerfield. Anybody's welcome, everybody's welcome. It's, a, it's a all guys, but anyway, uh, we've been doing that for 25 years. And, uh, and that, that's something that's been, uh, it's, it's important to me uh, to have those, about 100 men come every Tuesday morning. And uh, there's been some incredible things happen in my, in my basement at my house, and I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm the chairman of the board of Motor Racing Outreach, our ministry at the, cha at the, at the track. That's a ministry that uh, Stevie and I and a couple other couples founded and, and helped get started. And, and so those are things, are things that are important to me. I've been, I've been blessed, and uh, I know it has nothing to do with, with me. It has something to do with, you know, the, the blessings I've been, that the Lord has bestowed upon me. And I'm, I'm of 
those that much have been given, much is expected. And, and I try to give back as, as much as I can everywhere I can. Darrell Walter, what a day. Thanks for interviewing with us. Thanks for being part of Williamson County and all that you have done to put us on the map. And uh, good luck to you in the future. Yeah, I, I, this is the greatest. I guess we've oversold, but we certainly haven't underdelivered because this is the greatest place in the world to live. Great. I'm Rogers Anderson. We'll see you around town somewhere out in the future. Have a good day.